Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. And welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where me and my brother John will answer your questions. We'll give you dubious advice and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. How you doing, John? I'm doing great. Uh, everything is beautiful here. I, I, there is one issue, Hank, that's a that's been hanging over, I think, all of our heads since last week. Which is that careful listeners of the podcast may have noticed that in our last episode, uh, I, I said that we'd received like 478 Snickers bars at the office. And then later in the episode, I said like 458. And then later in the episode, I said like 437. At one point, you said a number that I had said previously, and then I corrected you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. I have the final number here. Uh, the Hank. actual number? Did you go and count all your Snickers bars? I counted them one by one because they came uh, in, you know, a certain number of boxes, but I emptied out all the boxes just, just so that I could put them in my bathtub so that I could have a Snickers bath. <laughs> and Are you going to tell me the number of Snickers that are currently left or the number you received? The number I received was 384. So I want oh to apologize God. to everyone for getting that number so oh terribly God. wrong. But most of all, uh, to my sponsor, my longtime corporate sponsor, Snickers, um, maker uh. of the most delicious snack on earth. Uh, so currently I have about, mm, I'd say like 200 odd Snickers <laughs> remaining. <laughs> I, uh, I think that it would be great if we could... If we could just sort of follow you around in your personal life and and take every moment where you exaggerate on like an, an objective <laughs> exaggeration where it's like a, an actual number and figure out what the percentage is like averaged out what the percentage is that you exaggerate by uh, I think that would be super interesting I'd be, it'd be it'd be interesting to find out if it was like a if it was cons a consistent like this is how much John exaggerates so we can sort of say it objectively or yeah. if it just flies all around I think it. No, um, I think it's almost exactly. Again. I think I, it's almost exactly three hundred and eighty-four, four hundred fifty-eighths is how much I exaggerate. <laughs> I would be interested to know how many Snickers bars are actually left because you did just exaggerate how many Snickers bars you've eaten. I hope. I mean, I'd slightly exaggerated it, maybe, but I've been enjoying at least 
I would say, a handful of Snickers bars per day. They are delicious. Can I tell you a story, John? Please. Uh, so we recently moved to a different office, uh, and at, in the process of moving, uh, we, you know, we just sort of like grabbed stuff as it was and put it on a truck. Uh, and one of the things we grabbed was this trunk uh, that opens up. You, I think we got it at Target, and inside there's like some storage space. Um, I was going through the office to be like, oh god, all this stuff to like figure out where things were, and I opened it. Uh, that trunk and inside there was a bag of Halloween candy an open bag of Halloween candy with some Three Musketeers and Snickers and Starbursts in it and I was very pleased and excited to find this and I started and I just like took a handful and closed it up and then uh, and I kept doing that uh, for weeks and it was just like a wonderful little treat that I had but oh but as time went on, people saw me doing it, and they were like, "What is there? Are there treats? Are there treats in that trunk?" And uh, and so this bag of Halloween candy that had been totally undiscovered since last Halloween, so almost a year now, uh, I I was it was like my secret for about a week before uh, before the the knowledge of the location of the treats exponentially grew throughout the, the office until now, of course, there are only starbursts left. <laughs> That reminds me that uh, after the coming nuclear apocalypse, uh, <laughs> we may be low on food, but there will <laughs> always be Starburst. Is that the short poem for today? That's, that's our short poem. Uh, there will always be Starburst. Uh, yeah, let's skip the short poem today and instead focus just a little bit more attention on whether or not we can get a corporate sponsor to send us 384 more Snickers bars, because... I am concerned about what I'm going to do when these Snickers run out. I just want to point out that you got Snickers bars and our office didn't. And now my office knows about that. My office being yeah. the one that actually sold the sponsorship at VidCon. Yeah. And they're like, why didn't we get a but?" And we have a whole thing about M&M's, which is also a Mars brand. And uh, and it's there's a, a great deal of contention now about the fact that we do not we did not get our favorite candy and you did. Hank, I think what concerns me about the way that you're constructing this uh, Snickers issue is that you are imagining that my office received 384 Snickers bars. And I want to be absolutely <laughs> clear about something uh, for the sake of my own health and for the sake of the health of my employees, for the for the vibe in this office. Those 384 Snickers bars were addressed to me. They are my Snickers bars. A portion of them may reside in the office refrigerator, but they are mine. They belong to me. They will be consumed solely by myself. I, uh, that is, that is remarkable to me. I, I, are you sure? That that's the that that's the uh, the best thing for for your employees to be like, hey, I got a bunch of stuff. I'm your boss. I'm gonna keep it. Uh, I don't think they really think of me as their boss. I think they think of me as like the strange man who shows up some <laughs> days. <laughs> oh. uh, uh, John, can I can I do a can I perform a short poem for this podcast? Absolutely. Uh, the 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 poem for this podcast is uh, from the uh, just the notes. That is at the top of our podcast notes document, and those notes are 384 Snickers. Helium car would be slightly lighter than air car. The Fault in Our Stars is not available on Netflix.
That's a short poem. Uh, we uh, it's generally called 384 Snickers. It's by John Green, and it is from the podcast notes of our uh, August first, 2016 episode. Oh boy, it's not August first, um, and it I don't certainly know what won't day it be is. when this goes uh, when this is aired. <laughs> but uh, it is true that uh, a car with helium tires would, it turns out, be slightly lighter than a car with air tires, about 0.25 pounds lighter. Nicholas did the math, and boy, did he do the math. Uh, We will put the math on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dearhankandjohn. And now, Hank, it is time, very belatedly, to get to some questions from our listeners. All right, this one is from Trey, who asks, Dear Hank and John, in recent weeks, both Stranger Things and the new Harry Potter play came out. I want to tweet about those things, but I don't want to spoil things for others. But one of my favorite parts of Twitter is sharing experiences with people. At what point can I post without a guilty conscience? I have no idea how to handle this, Hank. Is it never? Is the answer never? It's never. I still do not post Harry Potter spoilers. Like, I do not tweet about, like, what... Because, like, there will always be someone reading Harry Potter for the first time. And I like what like if you want to have a conversation, if you want to like have a have a conversation about Harry Potter, be like, hey, can anybody come join me in this chat room who's already read Cursed Child? Can I can you please like let's create a space where where people who have enjoyed Stranger Things and want to discuss it. Can we go to a place that is uh, that is not that is segmented off from the rest of the Internet? The the idea that all uh, that all you know, discussion on the internet has to happen in this like uber public forum of either uh, Twitter or YouTube or, uh, you know, like that's like, that's not how it has to be. We can create social spaces on the internet that are not, uh, not in the faces of a hundred percent of the people who follow you. Uh, I'm not totally convinced of that. Like, uh, because I don't know exactly where the line is. Like, if I tweet about the uh, results of the most recent AFC Wimbledon game, have I spoiled the experience of that AFC Wimbledon game for people who wanted to, like, wait to watch the highlights on no. YouTube? I might, I might be biased here, uh, but I feel like real-life things mm-hmm. are different from fictional things. So it's not like... Uh, like okay. if if uh, I if I don't know who won the Canadian election and people are like uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is and I'm like oh dang it you spoiled it for me because that's <laughs> so that's just the world that's life about like oh I was gonna watch the election coverage later no that's right. just a thing that happened in the real world that's okay a fact. so the rule is that you can never spoil fictions on uh, broadly available public social media um, however you can spoil non fictions. Yes, because because I mean I think that can you spoil a nonfiction book? Are you allowed to spoil a memoir? Uh, yes, because it's it's a true facts of things that happened, and I think that we do that all the time. It's like when someone publishes a memoir, oftentimes what will happen is the news story will be like, uh, "This book came out, and this person said these five things." Because then it's I don't a new story. I actually, it's a new story. Then it's funny you should say that, Hank, because I felt like the movie Titanic. Uh, was a little bit spoiled for me just because I happen to already know in advance what happens, <laughs> you know, like with the Titanic, I knew that it was going to sink. Yeah. And uh-huh. I felt like if I could have gone at that experience cold, it would have been a much more powerful <laughs> film for me because I would have been like, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my goodness. I thought this was just going to be a cute love story. Yeah. But no, it turns out that this is terrible. And for some reason... Kate Winslet is not willing to share her door 
and now Leonardo DiCaprio is gonna die. Oh, dang it! I did it! I spoiled the movie. I apologize. I'm very sorry. That see, see, Leonardo DiCaprio's character in in Titanic didn't actually exist. That portion was fictional, and so you can't spoil it. You can, however, say that the Titanic sank because that is a thing that happened. All right. So there apparently is the line, and I have crossed it, for which I apologize. Hank, we also have a question from Sarah. And this question is as follows. Dear John and Hank, I started playing Pokemon Go almost as soon as it was released, back when the servers were super flaky. And even though the game seems to be working fine now, I have a serious problem. You see, I live in a rural area, and there are no Pokemon or Pokestops that can be easily accessed from my home. I also can't drive yet, and because of my parents' busy schedule, they can't just drive me places simply for the sake of catching Pokemon. (laughs) What do I do? Well, Sarah... I think that you, first of all, need to twist your parents' arms and tell them to drive you places. Also, just get an apartment downtown. I'm imagining you're 13 or 14 years old. Just get that up. Just do it. Get a job. Drop out of school. You'll be fine. You got to focus on getting up to level 25. No, you won't. No, you won't. That's terrible, (laughs) terrible, terrible advice. Uh, Listen, I like catching Pokemon as as much as the next person or possibly more, given that I have just reached level 21. However... uh, I, I really feel strongly that uh, you need to wait, Sarah, for better augmented reality games to come out that are friendlier uh, to people living in rural spaces. And then just take your uh, take your moments when they come, you know? Your school will almost definitely be a Pokestop, so when school starts back up, uh, you know, you can... You can stop paying attention in class and just, uh, you know, make sure that you update that, uh, get, get your Pokeballs from the Pokestop every six minutes. And I, our advice on this topic is terrible, Hank. Yeah. We're all headed in, we're just both headed in terrible directions. I think, here's, here's, my, here's, here's my proposal, John. We create a new game. It's called Namakop Og. <laughs> and it's, it's just like Pokemon Go, except all the places where there are Pokemon, there aren't any. And then all the places where there aren't Pokemon, there are tons. Yeah. And so it'll get all the city dwellers out into the country land, and all the and all the rural people can be like, ha ha ha! I got like a level eighty four Narfal blag, and uh, everybody would be like, what is that even? I've never even heard of that Namakop. So that's a pretty brilliant that's my idea. proposal. I like that idea yeah. a lot. Um, we should talk to Niantic about this exciting opportunity um, <laughs> where they don't even have to license the Pokemon characters. They just spell them backwards and uh, put them, make them slightly less cute. And suddenly it's not even a problem. All right. I got, I got another question, John, if you would like to hear this question. Yes, I would. It's from Katie who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm about two months away from moving into college. I'm going to be living in a triple room, me and two roommates, uh, in a room that was built for two people. The layout of this room is one loft bed with a desk and a wardrobe built into it, and then the other two beds as bunk beds. I want the loft bed because it's the best bed, and so does everybody else. Is there a way for me to get my preferred and everyone else's preferred bed without seeming like a total jerk? I mean, in this situation, no. I take the worst bed 10 times out of 10 uh, to yeah? get myself in good with my new roommates. Ooh. I was going to... So there are... I, I feel like there are a ton of different answers to this question based on, like, economic theories. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, if you if you if it's, like, the communist theory or, like, then, then you all have to just, uh, like, switch beds every night. If, if it's, like, the sort of... Ameri- like, the idea of, of like, helping... Uh, like 
you know, like incremental taxation and, and progressive taxation, then you would say like, okay, who's the wealthiest person in the room? They get the worst bed. Uh, if it's, uh, you know, if it's just like American egalitarianism, then you have to just be like Rochambeau and then you pick or, you know, you, you have the person pay for the best bed. You pay the other roommates. You say, hey, I want the best bed. Here's 50 bucks. And then the other ones are like, well, I'll give you 52 for it. Ha ha. And then it's just it's just uh, capital. Uh, yeah, so that, uh, but I do like John's suggestion, which is, which is more, uh, sort of communitarian, like just say, Hey, I'm going to sacrifice a thing for you and, and we're going to be friends because of it. I think that what you want at college ultimately is not a slightly, uh, better bed, but better relationships. Like you have to get along so well with people for, those like triple rooms to work at all that I just feel like mm-hmm. it's a very marginal gain for real risk. Like, as you know, Hank, I'm a very risk averse person, but I feel like the downside is significant and the upside probably isn't as significant as you think. Right. Yeah. I think about this all the time. Uh, like, like our perceive, like the differences between the perceived levels of, of goodness of a product. And, but once you actually have it and are using it, you're like, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, it's not. It's the the thing that I thought was going to make me happy, made me happy maybe in the moment, but not for like actually in the long term, not really. Um, and and I, I uh, I particularly think about this when I'm watching House Hunters, and the people are always choose the larger house that's farther from work, and I'm like, you are choosing right. to spend so much time in traffic in exchange for right. a thing that has been objectively proven scientifically to not make you happier. Whereas spending time in traffic, yeah, but when you're looking, the problem is when you're looking for a house, you can't help but think about the house. Like you're making that decision inside the house, not inside the car on the way to work. Sarah and I were looking at houses when we were moving uh, to Indianapolis, and we were looking at houses for the first time. Uh, At no point did we any of the things that we consider actually affect our quality of life (laughs) whereas a bunch of things that didn't factor into our consideration at all were extremely important like looking back the number one thing that i wish i'd looked for in a house was a house that did not have much lawn (laughs) and it didn't even cross my mind i was like oh mowing the lawn is fun (laughs) it turns out that is not the case and are there are there any other house hunting tips, John, that you have for us? Uh, I mean, I guess like the number one house hunting tip that I would make is uh, never make a decision while you're hungry. <laughs> That's just a tip in general, though. Like I find is that, that you is make that like better a... decisions when you're not hungry. And I also have found in my own life that one of the best ways to not be hungry is to eat Snickers bars. Is Yeah, I, th- I thought maybe we were working towards a Snickers integration, John. Hashtag sponsored. All right, Hank, we have another question. Uh, This one comes from Ella, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I've recently started volunteering at my local charity bookshop and have been given free reign over organizing the many, many shelves. Ella, congratulations on the greatest (laughs) and also most exciting responsibility that you will probably ever have in your life. How do I organize them? Like, fiction and crime and thriller are obviously organized by author, but what about sections like mental health and self-help or craft or economics or any of the many categories that aren't fiction and crime? Do I organize by subcategories, stress, death, sex, relationships, or do I stick to going by author or do I go for the aesthetic version and go by height? What should I do, Ella? This is a wonderful question. 
This is one of the great questions of being a human alive in the world today. How do I organize my books? Or, if I am very lucky, how do I organize someone else's books? I think this is, I mean, literally there are entire, uh, like, like, not just courses, but entire programs that people go through in school in this particular topic and lots of them will probably be listening to the podcast right now and so I really don't want to say anything as as I'm afraid I will offend them use the Dewey decimal system it's very system. difficult i mean i would i i believe in going with the library of congress cataloging system the dewey decimal system is also excellent but i love the library of congress cataloging system i just think that it's very um you can google it it's i just find it to be uh, pretty comprehensive. But one of the fascinating things about cataloging a library, whether it's your home library or a bookshop or, or, or uh, a public library, is that there are all these books that live in the in-between spaces that defy easy categorization. Like in my own home library, I have a section uh, for books about conjoined twins, Hank, because as you know, I have a lot of books about conjoined twins. But there are some books that are about more than one thing, right? Like there are some books, I have for instance, a book that is about both boxing and the Holocaust. Now does that go in boxing or does it go in Holocaust studies? These, these are like, these turn out to be kind of like really interesting, deep questions. And that's one of the reasons I love cataloging and recataloging my home library is that in addition to like always reminding me of books that I want to reread or that I never haven't gotten to read, um, it also like always reminds me that, you know, the world, even though we have to organize it, is always like resisting our our organizational impulses. Mm-hmm. Yes, the the world does not want to be cataloged. It does not not want to be simple. It does not want to be yeah, yep. But but we must for the sake of we trying must. to find the we books. We must. It is our obligation to ourselves and to each other to find ways to catalog the uncategorizable. Yeah. So just do it by color. And, uh, and, and, you know, no, do not, do not do it by color. <laughs> That'd be really good. I, I was actually, I just looked at my bookshelf when I said that. And like, I have all the Scott Pilgrims, one, two, three, four, five, six, and they're all different colors. And it'd be like, oh, great. So it's like my Scott, my, like my six Scott Pilgrims are in different spots in my libraries. Yeah. Uh, all across my house, depending on like, oh, which was the three, the blue one or was it the orange one? Yeah. So, it's Ella, we're going to encourage you to consult with uh, a local librarian because they know a lot more about that stuff than we do, and also because librarians are the best. All right, John, I got another question. It's from Tom, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I've just finished a couple of years of cancer treatment, and I, possibly foolishly, started running the numbers. The NHS has spent somewhere in excess of 2.5 million pounds to extend my life by probably as little as a couple of years. How can I possibly repay that debt to society in such a short space of time? How can I justify that my life is worth that much when that money could have saved millions if it had been spent more wisely? We very rarely rationally allocate resources, so the idea that uh, you should feel responsible for irrational allocation of resources uh, is is a bit of a stretch, I think, because mm-hmm. the world doesn't allocate resources rationally. No. That's the first thing that I would say. The second thing that I would say is that you have to remember that life doesn't exist for, for money. Money exists for life. Uh, and the third thing that I would say is that the NHS 
and every human being that comes after you uh, has also benefited from your treatment because you have contributed to their understanding of cancer, you've contributed to their understanding of how to treat it, and that's a really important contribution to the history of the, the social order, right? Like, that's the main way that we've learned is by trying to treat people, figuring out what works and what doesn't work. So you can't separate uh, the money that's been spent on you from the the good it's done, not just for you and those who love you, but also for, for, for the wider social order. Yeah, and, and, and in that same vein, with, with regard to the social order, the NHS and healthcare systems in general exist, not just so that we can take care of the people who are sick, but for the people who are healthy to know that they can be taken care of and will be taken care of when and if they get sick. And that creates a feeling of security and it creates a feeling of value, of being valued by your society and by your government um, to know that that system is there and uh, and that and that cost that you have just applied just to you uh, is actually kind of providing a benefit across all people in your country uh, who can feel as if like they know that you know that 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 money would have been spent on them if they had been at, uh, unlucky enough to be in your situation um, and so that that cost basically gets spread out over all of those people who get to have that sensation of of safety and of support and of of being valued by their society. Yeah, I think survivor's guilt is so uh, difficult and it's very, very real. And this is one expression of it among many. Uh, and I'm not going to pretend to be able to take that feeling away or that fear away. But I think ultimately the the value of any human life uh, if you try to calculate it monetarily, everything falls apart. Yes, uh, I, I just don't think I just don't think that human lives uh, are like the value or worth of a human life uh, can effectively be measured by markets. No, no. Uh, though I I think that I think that sometimes we try and it's very upsetting. Yeah, I mean, to, yeah. All right, John, I have another question. If you want to go a little bit lighter than that one, it's from Kelly, who asks, Dear Hank and John, when there's a large-scale tug-of-war happening, I've seen a lot of people using the one-two-three-pull method instead of having all the members of their team constantly pulling. While I've seen this work and agree that it's the most effective, effective way to win tug-of-war, I don't understand why it works. In my head, I would think that if the other team was constantly pulling with all their collective might, that they would win during the break while my team is counting to three. So why does my team win? Well, it might just be that your team is is strong and burly and amazing and, and great and just excellent tug of war people with with really nice calves, uh, but I, but but I have I have some thoughts. John, do you have any? Uh, well, I'm not very good at math, but my general thought would be that by saying one two three pull. Uh, while another team is applying constant pressure, you would apply a sudden surge of pressure that they would not be like prepared for mentally that might cause them to like stumble and fall mm -hmm. over. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of things at work here. First is that no one is ever pulling with all of their like no one is ever pulling with all of their might together on like the the constant pull is actually very hard to maintain so you're you're not giving 100% all at once um and so you're sort of like always counting on someone being pulling harder than you are and then sometimes you're pulling harder and sometimes they're pulling harder so everyone is uh no one is actually pulling constantly everyone is pulling uh like at varying speeds and then it averages out over the side that's 
that's supposedly pulling with all of their collective might. Um, and then that's also happening on the other side. People are all pulling a little bit, like a fair amount, uh, to keep to keep themselves from being pulled over. Uh, but then they all do that sudden surge at the same time. Instead of having that average out over the whole rope, it happens all at once. Um, and so there's that. So there's a, a greater force being generated than will ever be generated by the other side. Uh, and then the other thing is to just keep keep them off balance because tug of war is is a game of strength, but it is also a game of agility and balance and, and keeping your footing, uh, not sliding forward and not being like not having your your center of gravity go too low that you lose traction and not having it go too high so that you stumble over your feet. So that is that is what I would guess. Uh, and I probably took that question, probably took it too seriously. Yeah, I mean, as you can tell, Hank fancies himself an expert in the field of tug of war, even though I, I, would, I would wager that the last time <laughs> Hank uh, competed in a competitive tug of war match was mm, 20 years ago? <laughs> 25, <laughs> maybe? I'd say maybe 19. I bet I did okay. some tug of war at summer camp. Uh, but I do... I, I, the the. I, I think you might falsely remember how long ago summer camp was. Definitely. Uh, wait, how old am I? I was in summer camp 19 years ago. Were you? Yeah, I'm 36. So you were in summer camp when you were 17? Yeah, I, I, went, I, was, a, I was a junior counselor, John. Oh, all right. I just guess I don't remember that. Um, one more comment about the one, two, three pull business. It occurs to me that since tug of war is ultimately a game about uh, balance you should really say one pull because when you say one, two, three pull, all all your opponents are getting ready for that pull. But if you just say one pull, like they're not going to be ready at all. Uh, that is, I think I might have just, I think I might have just cracked the code right. to being successful at tug of war, Hank. No, what you really need to do is you need to have a system down before you go in, and you're like, okay, we're going to pull on. So the first pull, we're going to pull on two, second pull, pull on five, third pull, pull on three, fourth pull, pull on one, and then everybody will be so confused, but everybody on your team knows exactly what's happening. I love that's, it, John. I think, that's actually, I think that's actually exactly how NFL teams uh, call plays. Like, that's how quarterbacks do it in the huddle. Although, at this point, we're veering into something that we truly know nothing about, which is uh, playing American football. So perhaps we should answer one more question from our listeners before we get to the all-important news from Mars. But I have I have a thing that I want to bring up, John. Okay. Is that okay? Can I bring up a thing? Can I get a little bit? Is, is, is that I am very interested in the moment when a sport goes from pure fun to, like, super competitive. And for me, that moment is when someone introduces a strategy that makes them much better at the sport uh, that then everyone else has to emulate, but it requires some significant investment of either time or money. And then everybody's like, oh, like the people who are, who are like, this is, this was fun. Uh, but I'm not here for that. They all drop out. And then suddenly ultimate Frisbee becomes this thing that I can no longer play because there are rules and penalties and you can't drink a beer while you're doing it. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, my only counter argument would be that there are lots of sports that you can drink a beer uh, while doing that are still super competitive and in fact are possibly made more competitive by the presence of beer uh, I'm thinking especially of the adult uh, softball league that I was briefly a part of which involved a lot of drinking and then also a lot of screaming at an umpire uh, yeah. and I would just be like but but 
but we're not playing for anything. There's no money. There's no yeah. pride here. We're all old people. <laughs> Why are you yelling that you were safe at second? Like, let it go. I think some of the competitive energy just comes from human nature. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Um, all right, but now I, can yeah. we answer one more question before we get to the all-important uh, news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon? Yes, we can. All right, I think this question comes from Robert, who asks, Dear John and Hank, in episode 12 of Dear Hank and John, dang it, I said Dear Hank and John. In episode 12 of Dear John and Hank, you discussed the multiverse theory and you said that in only two of the 14 quadrillion possibilities does Donald Trump become the Republican nominee for president. Oh, of all the dubious stuff we've ever said, that might have been the most dubious. You said he won't actually win the presidency in either of these universes, but did say that in one of them, an asteroid will hit the Earth and kill all but 17 Americans. I haven't slept since the Donald officially accepted the nomination. I just sit quietly in bed weep and try not to wake my husband what should i do uh so I'm, I'm confused if this person is tremendously overwhelmed by the possibility that we are now in a 50 50 scenario with the asteroid impact or if it's just <laughs> donald trump uh that's that's upsetting them <laughs> I mean, given that there's a 50-50 chance that all but 17 Americans will die in the next couple of months due to an asteroid, I really feel like I need to be eating more Snickers per day. <laughs> yeah, we've, got, we've gone down to the only two possibilities and we're not sure which one we're in. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've got I've to increase my SPD ratio. Yeah, we need, to, um, we need to start living every day like it's our last because, uh, because for, for all but 17 of us, that's the case. Well, 50-50 chance. 50-50 chance. Uh, the world is not going to end. I mean, the world is going to end. It's going to be terrible. But it's it's not going to happen <laughs> soon, um, I don't think. It's unlikely to happen soon. I'm really hedging my bets here, Robert. Uh, the world is unlikely to end soon. The multiverse turns out to be a far more complex and terrifying place than any of us could have uh, anticipated back in uh, episode 12. But uh, I still I still believe that, uh, that the United States uh, is a strong country and a good place to live. Uh, and a very successful nation state in many ways. And it's important to remember that even in extremely difficult, strange, worrisome times uh, that, you know, I remember John McCain caught a lot of flack in 2008 uh, amid the collapse of the economy for saying the fundamentals of our economy are strong. Mm -hmm. But he was right. Uh, the fundamentals of our economy are, are strong in the sense that, you know, people... Uh, People like the currency of the dollar. They value it. Uh, you know, the, the, our, our crime rate remains relatively uh, low compared to the 1990s, the 1980s. Uh, you know, th there are a lot of things about the United States that are good. It's very easy to focus on the things that are terrifying. Um, and the only other thing that I would say is vote. Yes. Yes. Which brings me to the, uh, the, the sponsorships for this episode of Dear Hank and John, uh, which is brought to you by the fundamentals of our economy. <laughs> the fundamentals of the American economy, John, according to John McCain, and also reality, they are strong. Ish. I mean, not that strong, but strong-ish. <laughs> And of course, today's episode of Dear Hank and John is also brought to you by Leonardo DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio still feeling like there was probably room on that door for him. <laughs> this podcast is additionally brought to you by Namikapog. 
Namakapag, the new the new hit game from Niantic, uh, which allows you to play Pokemon-type game without having to license any of the Pokemon names, and also while you do not happen to live in a city. And finally, today's podcast is brought to you by the Library of Congress Cataloging System. The Library of Congress Cataloging System may be the best, maybe not. We're not sure. They're just the ones who paid us to say that we like them. <laughs> I, love, I love the idea of getting a sponsorship from the Library of Congress Cataloging. <laughs> System. I've got I've got two corporate relationships, Hank. I've got one with the Library of Congress cataloging system, and I got one with Snickers. <laughs> this episode of Dear Hank John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house, or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week. And it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house. And Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep, it's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. Oh, God. All right. This has been a fun episode of Dear Hank and John. John. I know, but now we have to get to the uh, the part where you tell me that human beings are desperately trying to get to a cold, dead rock when they have a lovely home right here on Earth. It is very nice here on Earth, John, I have to say. Though though I will also say that yesterday in Montana, there was a high of 35, or a high of 95 and a low of 35, uh, which seemed a little bit excessive to me. Additionally, uh, the fire season has begun, and there are some really quite nearby raging fires that have created a lot of of air quality problems but uh it is that is terrible it is quick question for than, you hank are there fires on mars there are no fires on mars yeah it is a fire free place yeah why is that so that's good uh because there's no life <laughs> also there's no air <laughs> so yeah no oxygen and no combustible material so <laughs> sounds like hell actually uh, i guess not hell because there's no fire but yeah so what's the news very- from mars uh, well, the news is from uh, the National Geographic Channel, who is working on a, what it looks to be a, a very interesting series that I am not 100% sure I will enjoy, but I'm hoping that I will, and I'm really excited to to see whether or not I'm going to like it. It's called Mars, and it is a, uh, it's a global event series coming this November. Uh, that's what it says, global event series. I think what they mean is show. 
TV show, uh, which is a drama, but it's sort of mixed together with the realities of exploring Mars. So it's a drama, uh, a six-part series, uh, scripted drama in which uh, some people go to Mars. And it looks, uh, I watched the trailer for it, which you can watch at makemarshome.com, which is the website for this thing. That looks really quite uh, exciting. Um, and they will they will be mixing together uh, the scripted drama with like actual people who are like Neil deGrasse Tyson and Elon Musk and uh, Peter Diamandis and people like that who will uh, also be talking about the mission. And uh, yeah, it's uh, being executive produced by Ron Howard and, uh, and, and Brian Grazer. Uh, yeah, and I think it looks like a it looks like a fun, cool show uh, that will be celebrating the spirit of adventure, the spirit of exploration, and uh, and all of the all of the stuff that goes along with it, and all the drama and freakiness and and scary. But there won't be. Uh, but it will be, I think, hard science fiction. No, no aliens and stuff. It's just a story of the first humans to explore the surface of Mars. Uh, question for you: mm-hmm. Where is it being filmed? Do you know? Uh, Mars, John. It's being filmed on Mars. <laughs> the hell that I'm in big trouble. <laughs> that means I already lost my bet. <laughs> no, it's being so, filmed on Earth. So here's the question, John. Could we yeah. make the argument that humans go to Mars, but in like virtual reality uh, television shows? No, I don't think we can make that argument. Uh, All right. I'll I think see. that my bet is looking better and better with each passing day. Well, Hank, uh, it is still the offseason for AFC Wimbledon, but not for much longer. Uh, their first game is next week. Very exciting. Uh, up there in the third tier of English football, we're going to get uh, a nosebleed. We're sitting up so high. Uh, we're actually going to start the year, Hank, because uh, AFC Wimbledon is first in the alphabet at the top of the League One table. Um, <laughs> oh, all right. We'll see where we go from there. Uh, The news from AFC Wimbledon this week is that uh, after quite a long time of not signing a striker to replace Adebayo Akinfenwa, uh, AFC Wimbledon finally have. Uh, His name is Tyrone Barnett, possibly Barnett. I'm not uh, good at pronouncing things. And he is 30 years old. He is Hank, get this, from Stevenage. Oh, you stole my best player. No, no, no. He grew up in Stevenage, um, but he never played for Stevenage, so no (laughs) worries. Um, He played for Shrewsbury Town and Southend United uh, and is now coming to Wimbledon. I I have to say, at Southend United, he had five goals in 20 appearances, and that's a pretty good... Uh, that's a pretty good ratio. So I'm feeling hopeful and excited about our new 30-year-old striker. Welcome to Wimbledon, uh, Tyrone Barnett, or possibly Barnett. Uh, long may you reign. Long may you reign. Well, congratulations, John. Oh, I'm so nervous about this season, Hank. I know. Well, is there a way to print out the table as it stands at the beginning of the season and just frame it? <laughs> it's, like, it's do they all, have a? It's all, it's all downhill from here. Do they have like a, a thing that you could re- like that they actually release, um, <laughs> like a physical copy that you could get? Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. I'll have to ask. Uh, Hank, what did we learn today? Oh, John, we learned that if you want to win at uh, at 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 tug of war all you need to do is listen to me because i'm an expert on everything to do with tug of war apparently because i just thought about it for a little bit yeah that reminds me of how we're experts in everything because we just thought about it for a little (laughs) bit while we were recording a podcast together 
<laughs> we also learned that the opportunity to catalog the shelves at a bookshop is the greatest opportunity on earth. And we learned that you should not be sharing spoilers of any fictional things on the internet. But if you want to tell the whole world that Justin Trudeau is the Prime Minister of Canada, that is acceptable. And of course, we learned uh, that soon you will be able to download a game called Nomicop Og that will allow you to play a Pokemon Go-like game, but in rural spaces. Very excited for Nomicop Og. I think it has a bright future, Hank. Um, <laughs> one quick suggestion, maybe if you could make the name not so terrible. <laughs> it, it occurs to me that it should probably be Ognomicop. Because that would be the reverse of the whole thing. Ognomicop is much better. <laughs> it does. Uh, it but good. Unfortunately, we only arrived there at the very end of the podcast. <laughs> um, thank you for listening, Hank. Thank you for uh, doing this podcast uh, with me. Uh, the podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. Our theme music is by Gunnarola. Our intern is Claudia Morales. Rosiana Hulse Rojas helps out with questions. You can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be, be awesome. awesome.